This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. I believe Vusi has uh, managed to join us. Let me take this opportunity after that quick reflection and wish him and, and, and welcome. Um, Vusana, good evening and welcome to Beyond Governance. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You're most welcome, my good sir. Uh, we also have joined, John by, John in line by Eric Stillerman, who is the regular voice on the show, as well as Mr. Justice Ndaba, who is also a regular voice on the show. Uh, both gentlemen are going to obviously take you from our conversation with, with, with Vusi. Vusi, thank you for gracing the Beyond Governance show with your presence tonight. Uh, my, 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 you know, listeners have always wanted to know who is Vusi? You know, it's always useful to get it from the horse's mouth, you know. Who is Vusi in a, in a greater scheme of things? Sure. I mean, uh, that's probably one of the toughest questions, I think, at a philosophical level. We're all spending our lives trying to figure out exactly who we are. But I suppose at the surface of it, I'm a young South African. I come from the East Rand in Benoni. I started making my career in public speaking, worked a bit in corporate finance. I say a bit, I'm being self-effacing, spent some time in corporate finance whilst doing my public speaking. And um, uh, now I run a venture capital firm. I'm a partner in a private equity firm, as well as spend my time speaking around the world and writing books. So that's who Vosi is. Thank you very much for that, Evosi. I'm sure my listeners are quite grateful to get it from the horse's mouth. You know, you know, like one of those people who says, who's Vosi? Okay, a person says, hey, go Google me, you know. <laughs> Thank you for, 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 for giving us, uh, uh, insight on, on who Vosi is. Vosi, perhaps maybe just to frame our conversation tonight. We know for the fact that the business for South Africa has a, established a response to COVID-19 pandemic due to decline in the in, in the GDP of about 8 to 10% in 2020. And we also know that of picked up through a conversation we've had on the show with with with, with thought leaders such as yourself that the budget deficit for 20 for, for, for 2020 is likely to to contrast by 13.3% uh, in the in the current financial year. Uh, and, and we also are going to experience a shortfall of about 9.9% of the GDP. Obviously, in the absence of growth, and, and the bit that I know from entrepreneurship point of view, that we obviously have to, you know, rely on small businesses. But we do know that small businesses in these countries have been the victim. Uh, of, of so many casual victim of so many policy program and casualties. As a starting point, do you think that small businesses have a room to turn around? Uh, in a, of course, in the context of business South Africa, business for South Africa response um, to COVID nineteen. What's your take on the on the business landscape in this country? Small business landscape in this country. So, for context. Um, you know, when, when I left, uh, corporate, I set up a firm first to help identify and accelerate small businesses, uh, that is to incubate them. And then as we got really good at that process, we saw that there was some opportunity to invest in some of those businesses. Before that, I'd been on a show called Dragon's Den in South Africa where I had done several investments. And so I speak from a point of authority about what's happening in the small business space. Let me answer your question by making these three statements. 
The first is this. If my son or daughter today said they wanted to start a small business in South Africa, I would send them to a place to have their sanity assessed. This country is completely, completely, it has, a, it's a, it, it almost as if the policy is an assault for small businesses, both in terms of legislation, but also in terms of support. And there is a schism in South Africa in the sense that whilst on the one end, you have great policy rhetoric and some capital being made available, it doesn't trickle down into the actual small well. business environment. Sure. So that's really one of the things that I think we need to contend with. The second thing I think we need to contend with, and to answer your question quite directly, is that over the past 24 months, if you want to put a chronology to it, South Africa has been going through a real recession. So when people said we got into a recession at the beginning of this year, many of the small and medium-sized business owners that I know actually were in recession already last year. Most people were cutting staff last year. They were seeing the sizes of their budgets from clients reduced last year already in 2019. 2020 started with a bit of a banger, and then all of a sudden COVID hit. And off, off the back of COVID, we had a 200 billion rand scheme, and we've heard that something like 13 billion, I speak under correction, has been, has been invested of that 200 billion. That gives you exactly a sense of the point that I'm making, that frankly, we like to rhetoric small business in South Africa, but we're not serious about it. We're not actually deliberate. And I suspect, which is the third and final point, the, the reason is this, that small businesses tend not to be organized. See, labor gets their way because labor is organized. It meets with big business in a structure called NEDLAC. Big business gets its way because it's organized under Big Business Leadership South Africa, BUSA, or now Business for South Africa. The unions are organized. Everybody is organized except for small businesses. So when you have something like the environment we're in, bad policy framework, the, the, the lack of ability to uh, support small businesses, there's nobody talking for small business in a single voice. And as a consequence of that, it, uh, it becomes a nice buzzword for speeches by ministers and the number one citizen. But I think the action is far from what is the intended um, uh, rhetoric. Thank you very much for that insight, Pussy. But, you know, when you listen to, you know, from, at the policy level, when you listen to the speeches from the, 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 the former or well, the current minister of small business enterprise, you would almost argue that, uh, you know, there is some kind of representation or there is some kind of a policy framework that guides uh, the the evolution and the support of small businesses uh, isn't that more of more, more almost like a contradiction? I mean, I think one of the things we have to be careful of is to presuppose that because there is a structure in place, it means that there is no you know implementation. We know in South Africa we've had a policing service for well, we've had a policing service I think as long as we've had the republic, but we've we also had at some point one of the highest crime rates in the world. Just because you have a structure in place doesn't mean it's effective, doesn't mean it's doing its jobs. I'll prove it to you. Here's my comment. Here's, here's a thought for you. Think about the funding landscape. So technically, there should be no market for VUSI to exist running a venture fund investing in, in you know, Series A and Series B businesses. There should be no market for me. The reason there should be no market for me is because of the number of funding agencies that exist. At a national level, you've got the Small Enterprise Funding Agency, the National Empowerment Fund, the IDC, 
Um, you could argue the PIC because that's really a fund of funds, but separate the pension funds out of this. You've got the IDC, but the DBSA, and those are just the ones that come to mind. Then at a provincial level, because most people don't know that each province has its own, actually, you've got the Gauteng Enterprise Propeller in Gauteng. You've got the uh, Free State Development Corporation. You've got MEGA, the Mpumalang Economic Growth Agency. You've got the ECDC, the Eastern Cape Development Corporation. I could keep going. Then, for, then you've got these designate funding agencies. So for youth, you've got the NYDA, etc., etc. So somebody has to explain to me, if they're all of these instruments, why is it that my timeline is full of people starting businesses saying I can't get support? Because it's not that there isn't a structure in place. It's I think there's something deeper than simply putting in place a structure. You can build a house. It doesn't mean people are going to occupy it. We have to get beyond the the look of things in South Africa into the actual implementation of those things. Thank you very much. I think you quite uh, hit it on a, on a nail by obviously reflecting on, on, on the need to go beyond just putting a structure, you know, because the structure presupposes that the, we have firstly competent people who are going to oversee, you know, the implementation of the programs. And firstly, there's, there's a brain power in terms of conceptualizing these kind of programs to a point where, uh, you know, uh, we can hold officials to account. And most importantly, one could also argue that the, the formation of the support structure by way of funding institutions, uh, the mandates are quite clear. And yeah. based on what you're saying, so there's obviously a, a issues around the mandate of this institution yeah. and the extent to which these institutions are able to deliver on the mandate. Uh, if, if that is the case, we'll not be seeing uh, so many SMMEs that are floundering. Yeah. Would, would, I, would that be correct? If I can also just add, you're 100% on the money. So one, there is the issue about mandate. And, you know, those of us who work obviously in capital markets understand what a mandate means. Quite simply for the listeners, if you run a investment company, the people on whose behalf you're investing have given you a particular mandate along which to invest. That mandate could be something like, please don't do high risk investments. So don't get into any early stage businesses or don't do any sin sectors. So no cigarettes, no tobacco, no gambling, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So you've got these institutions that exist with quite clear and specific mandates, and they're stratified along the funding ecosystem. But then the other problem you've got is many of these institutions now realize that actually they don't have the machinery to distribute the money. So do you know what they're doing as we speak? They're turning themselves into fund of funds. Now, I'm not going to name any names, but there are, national, there are funding institutions that exist today that are going to fund managers and going, I tell you what. Rather than I invest the hundred million that Treasury gave me, and remember, Treasury gave me the money. So Treasury's given me a hundred million to invest, and the terms of the hundred million were just don't, you know, don't be uh, irresponsible with it. I'm going to give you the hundred million, and I'm going to charge you, Mr. Fund Manager, six percent for the money. Why? Because I want to be able to pay for my head office costs and my bloated staff costs. You, Mr. Fund Manager, Vosi in this case, go and invest the money with the underlying entrepreneur. So by the time the underlying entrepreneur goes to meet with a VUSI, and there's several other funds that do this. We don't do it ourselves. We're on balance sheet, but there's several funds out there that do this. So by the time the entrepreneur meets with the fund, he's getting charged 6%, which is what the fund has to pay back to the other fund, and an additional of what the other fund then has to make, 4%, plus the profit you've got to make. So you could have gone to the bank and gotten an interest rate of, say, I don't know, Prime Plus, come out at a 9 10%. You're now accessing expensive equity funding or debt funding that is often priced above premium. And the point in the comment I'm making is simply this. The system is inefficient and ineffective. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. 
I think we have the intent. We very clearly have the intent. That's why the policy framework is in place. The question and the test for us now is beyond the intent, how do we actualize the things that need to be done? It's going to be a tough road ahead, I think. Thank you very much, Vusi, uh, for that input. We're going to take a break. When you come back, I'm going to bring in uh, Eric Stillman as well as Justice Indaba just to further thresh out some of the very pertinent issues that you've put forward around how do we take, how do we take, um, you know, this funding institution, the, the broader uh, funding landscape to a point where it really benefits small businesses. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. We are joined on studio, I'm online, uh, by Vusi uh, Tamakwaya, who, I'm the man who wears many hats, you know. Uh, at some point, we get to a point where, you know, he really tells us about, 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 you know, how he's been dubbed a rock star and whatever. But for the purpose of our conversation tonight, it's really about entrepreneurship. Uh, Vusi, thank you very much once again. Okay. You know, before we went to the break, you, you, you pointed out that, you know, the, the biggest hustle of the funding landscape, um, is the fact that we have a structure, but these structures, um, um, you know, they, there's a lot of confusion or they, they are not efficient in so far as delivering on the mandate. But I know for the fact that Eric Stillman, who is, who's listening, you know, quite curiously on the show has a point for you. Eric, may I give this opportunity to ask, um, you know, Vusi uh, uh, a question that that you've been that that has been bothering you? Uh, uh, good evening. Thanks so much, Vusi. Uh, a pleasure listening to you. Good evening, Nimrod and Justice. Vusi, uh, I'm I'm not going to dwell on the points that you were making because I agree with you on the inefficiency of the small business support landscape, both financial and non-financial. And the important need for for that for SMMEs to be developed and supported. I was obviously, you know, like I'm sure the rest of of, of the panel impressed when you when you said that you know you you started off in the game and you had a, a successful inter- incubator and then you moved into into venture capital funding, which is where you are now. So you've obviously got a taste of success as well. The question really is. What do we need to do in order to make, to implement SMME development uh, initiatives? What do we need to do to support SMEs? How do we solve the problem? I'd love to focus the discussion, if I may, on some of the things that are crucial to, to success. We'll see if, if you care to comment, please. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the question. Um, so I, I have a couple of thoughts. I don't think they're collectively exhaustive. I'm sure that there are a number of other suggestions people could make, but kind of top of mind and the things I've been thinking about in terms of what we could do at a macro level to help us is, firstly, I think we need a, a consolidation of the landscape. You need fewer but more efficient players, right? So I think there's way too much fragmentation right now, and I would consolidate the funders, I would consolidate the incubators, I would consolidate the accelerators. That's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is I would reduce the friction of the agency costs. So what we have at the moment, as I've explained it, is this value chain where Treasury is making money available at, in effect, zero cost. But by the time it reaches the underlying business, it's had uh, agency costs to pay for nice offices in Santin and particularly on Fritter Road. So I think that's the second thing to do is to think about reducing that. 
The third thing I would do is I would encourage more acts like the Section 12J. Now, of course, we know that Section 12J has suffered some abuse, but I think that that's the nature of things. If you make a law available, people will find or try to find a way to abuse it. But what you can't argue is that there has been a substantial sum of money, private capital, that went into catalyzing the economy of South Africa, taking advantage of the Section 12J, as uh, my understanding is, a part of the Tax Act. So that's the third thing I would do. And then the fourth, which is probably going to be the least popular, I imagine, but it's just my thought, is I would re rethink how we think about the social wiring that we're doing at the moment. So we've got the social wiring along which we're trying to reconstruct our economy based on the imbalances, which are very clear in South Africa. And those imbalances are a function of the past we come from. Can't deny that. That's a fact. But I would rethink the mechanisms we're using. So rather than have a narrow mechanism that focuses on a particular uh, uh, demographic, I would have a mechanism that focuses on a particular strata of the economy. Because once you do that, then you enable small business people, regardless of which race they are, to be able to build businesses. And then finally, I'm so sorry, but finally, I think we need a fundamental relook at our labor laws. We really, really do. And I recognize that our labor laws are there for the protection of labor because we do come from a past where capital was particularly misogynistic in its relationship with labor in South Africa. I fully recognize that. But we're now in a rather this invidious position where if you start a business today, Eric, with one person, the labor laws that you have to abide by, both for hiring, recruiting, firing, etc., are exactly the same laws that a shopwright has to abide by with tens of thousands of people. Now, it goes without saying, you don't have the resources of a shop, right? Neither do you have the appetite to accumulate those resources. You're starting a business because you want to be a cafe owner, a restaurant owner, a butcher, a candlestick maker. You want to be an artist and you just wanted to hire an assistant to help you. You don't, you don't want to be sitting there sending out warnings and holding and go hosting meetings at the CCMA. So we need a lot more flexibility on the labor space to enable in, uh, small businesses to be able to fire and hire and I think what you'll find there is a bigger take-up of employment because then all of a sudden there'll be consequences. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm not sure whether, Eric, you want to make a follow-up on that, on those four points before I could bring in justice. You want to make a follow-up, yes, uh, Merrick? Thank you for that, Wussi. Um, I, I, I would say, you know, having experience of, of incubators and the critical success factors to make businesses successful, and, 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 and actually succeed in, 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 in applying for finance, meeting the criteria, um, and then productively and sustainably running the business and, and, and succeeding. You, you know, part of the reason Nimrod mentioned, um, you know, some, like the 200 billion rand has been made available for small and medium businesses only like a fraction of it has actually been dispersed. Not that people, that the rest of the SMMEs out there don't need it. But clearly, you know, people are not meeting the criteria, the funding criteria. So from your experience, if I can just put this further question to you. In terms of the success of small business, in your experience, particularly in the incubator space and in the private equity space, uh, what have you found to be some of the the, the key success factors that are making good businesses out of small businesses. You know, what, 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 did, what does your experience tell you on that score? Yeah, that's a great question. 
So one of the learnings has been the following. First, that the more mature the business, the less reliance there is on the character as well as the competence of the founder. So the volatility really in the early stages of business is actually just around the founder. One of the main pivots we did in terms of our process and how we approached not only the investment process, but also the incubation and acceleration process was we pivoted around the founder, not around the business. So I want to understand who is the founder? What drives them? Where do they come from? What's their background? Did they grow up with money or without money? Because that affects their relationship with capital. Have they done financial literacy? Have they been employed before? There is a massive correlation of people who come from corporate, who've been at middle management, and have left corporate to start businesses with success. So those are the things that we've pivoted around. And I think that's one of the major drivers now is understanding the founder. And then the second is understanding what we call the TAM, the total addressable market. So how big is the market that the founder is getting into, the environment that they're trying to address? And is it a growing market and a growing space? One of the things I'm seeing a lot happen, and it makes me quite sad, is a lot of young people unable to get jobs are starting businesses really as a survival mechanism, but those businesses are not answering a need that exists. And as a function of that, they're not really giving themselves the opportunity to win. And so it, it really is about how big is the market. And then, you know, third is, does this entrepreneur have the best opportunity to win? Those for me have been the three main things. Now notice nowhere here have I mentioned race. And I just, I'll, again, I'll make this comment. We have a race issue in South Africa we need to address. There is no doubt about that. But I'm not sure that the, the thinking that got us into the problem is the thinking that's going to get us out of the problem. So what I'm trying to say here is we have to find a way of looking for these factors and looking for these factors in a manner that is around the business case rather than the other issues. Once we do that, we'll build, I think, a lot more scale in terms of the businesses that we support. Thank you very much, Vusi. I'm, I'm sure the listeners are really um, mulling over some of the very pertinent issues that you're putting forward. As I'm going to give a space to justice to come through, but here's a question from, from me, Vusi. I mean, this country, we are endowed with intellectual capital by way of business schools. I mean, there's so many business schools who are supposedly uh, on top of the game. Uh, why are we not being able to leverage on the prestige and the value of business schools in this country to a point where, uh, you know, some of the teaching fund expression, not only in the policy level, but also the programmatic level to try and, 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 sh- and change the gear. Is it a scenario where we've got, you know, uh, you know, business schools that are led by people who have never been exposed to the real work or this, what's wrong with the picture? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, one of the, myself being a, you know, I'm an academic scholar, right? So I really appreciate the rigor of academia. I think it's an important part of making a whole, wholesome, rounded individual. So you need, when you're an entrepreneur, and I think this is often what people don't understand about being an entrepreneur. I always say to people, you need to have overalls and a suit in your wardrobe. And what that means is you've got to have the ability to be a trader. You've got to have the ability to show up for a street fight and be a brawler. And that's about can you price, can you compete, can you build a value proposition, can you bootstrap. But you also have to have the ability to understand what what makes up a balance sheet, what makes up an income statement, how do you make your business tax efficient, how do you get your your free cash flows uh, to grow in your business, all of those things. So it's got to be about the overall and the suit. And I think where we have missed it, to your comment, is the schism has been that a lot of the language that the business schools use is not language that entrepreneurs understand. 
So you actually first have to do a bridging course that helps the, the, the entrepreneur understand what does a business school mean when they say markup or gross profit. People take it for granted, but I've met phenomenal traders, phenomenal traders with great businesses who don't, until you explain the concept, they understand the concept of markup versus gross profit. But if you just say those words, it's, it skates over them, right? Um, and so the, I think those are the things that we have to do. We have to find a way of creating a language that bridges the schism between the overall and the suit. Thank you very much for that. So Justice, your take on that very interesting observation from Busi? Yeah, thank you. Hi, Busi. How are you? Uh, my name is Justice. Hi, Justice. Pleasure to meet you, Squire. Yeah, great, great stuff. Now, having listened to you today, I understand you better. Now I can see where your frustration comes from in terms of the video that you recently posted. Right. So um, I can sense that. Um, you know, my take really is about the, and which I agree with many of the things that you've said, really. But um, I also wanted to have your take in as far as the the small businesses speaking in one voice. Um, in in terms of small businesses, I, I always thought that organizations such as NAFCOC speak on behalf of not unless the they no longer exist. I don't know what is your take on that, but also the issue that I was grappling with, which I think you've answered, um, was covered in the business day of today, which said that uh, the National Treasury had uh, given guarantees of close to 200 billion and only 13 billion has been distributed thus far. So that was a great concern to me. So I guess part of it you've answered in terms of why that is the case. Um, I don't know what is the, your take on that, uh, uh, maybe. Yeah. So if, if I may, I think I, I agree with you on, you know, the comment about obviously that the latter comment. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff, the, a lot of the stuff that we actually need to do is not particularly rocket science. This is why, you know, when ministers invite me for a coffee, I'm really not interested. We don't need more coffee meetings. We don't need more conferences. We don't need more policy documents. We don't need more PowerPoint presentations. I always say, and this is kind of where I'm at, I think we can all take a leaf from the taxi industry. And here's why I say that. I don't, I don't think that Santaco meets with the government or any of the regulators and has a PowerPoint presentation prepared for the demands of the taxi industry. But for some strange reason, the taxi industry always gets their way. That should tell us something about the language that is effective in South Africa. I'm not trying to advocate anything. I'm just saying, look at the behavior and the pattern. So, for instance, when a community is upset in South Africa, if they write a letter to the councillor, nothing happens. But the minute they burn a school, all of a sudden, they're listened to. And I think we're reaching a very dangerous point where the language of communication around protest is the language that is not the one we should be having. You asked a question around NAVCOC. It wasn't just NAVCOC. There was also FABCOS and several others. But I, I, I don't think I saw NAVCOC at the investment conference, which happened uh, last year. You remember when the president was on the drive to raise a couple of hundred billion. I can't recall that I saw NAVCOC there. They may have been there, but I can't recall that I saw them there. NAVCOC itself, if you just go and Google it, you'll see that they've had their own fair share of challenges. And I'm not sure what's happened to FABCOS since. I think that we are arrived in a time of 2020 where we need to rethink the configuration of how small businesses are organized, both small formal as well as small and informal, 
And I don't think that that necessarily means the people who operated in that space in the past should continue to have a monopoly. My, my thought actually is that those of us who are operating in that space now should do something right now that's fit for this moment. Thank you very much, Vusi. I'm not sure if Jesse wants to make the follow-up, but I've just picked up a very interesting point that you made in relation to investment conference organized by the president, uh, wherein uh, obviously all in Sunday were invited with a view to crowding investment. And of course that was undermined by COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but, but even before that, we have, we have had in this country, uh, you know, series of conferences on investments, you know, you know, uh, pontificating billions of rands into the stream, and yet nothing has come through. You know, and and what 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 makes even the what what makes the whole scenario even more frustrating for ordinary South African who's listening to this show that, like you said, we don't need more conferences, we don't we don't need more policy position, we don't need more documents. You know, we just need action. But but when you speak to government officials, the the the, the, the assumption or the the, the take is that we understand this issue, but if they really understand this issue, what are the grinding issues? What makes, you know, the, this, this, this train, if you like, travel so slow when everybody seems to be on par or at least uh, on the same page insofar as unemployment, inequality, the need to drive the economy up right. to what, four or five percent? Right. 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 That the answer to that is probably the simplest of uh, the answers for the conversation we've been having, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation as well as the comments and questions. So thank you for that. But the answer for that is actually very simple. There are no consequences. When you were a little child and your mom told you not to do something, if you did it, there were consequences. When you get employed and your employer tells you not to do something, if you do it, there are consequences. Right? If you if you are sitting in lockdown and you don't have any physical activity and you have a bad diet, your body is going to react. That's called consequences. The answer to your question is quite simply that there are no consequences. So, for instance, I can't recall the time when any minister in South Africa was fired for non-performance. But I do recall that all ministers at some point signed performance contracts. Well, that seems a contradiction to me, quite stark, actually. I also can't recall a time when I picked up a newspaper and I heard that there was a, a director general that had been fired for non-performance, or you'd hear about people losing their jobs for over corruption or something like that, but non-performance, the inability to meet a performance scorecard, I can't recall that that's been, ever been the case. In any environment where there isn't a stick, the carrot ceases to matter. So if you don't have consequences, Driving a performance culture is, no con- is, a, is of no use because, well, there's no need to perform because there's no punishment for not performing. It's the basic human instinct. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I mean, spot on. I mean, this is something that we have all over this this in this uh, show for over a period of time, and we thought uh, maybe the, the coming of the president, the current administration, we would likely to see more, you know, courage and, and stick approach. And your sense is we're still operating at the level where consequence management is just a concept, but not practice. Yeah, and, that, and that's also because we have to accept that 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 the structure of our politics lends itself to that. If you have any any person in power who is elected by a group of people then expected once they're in power for the broader population to keep those group of people in check. Well, that's just not going to work. Could you imagine if Cristiano Ronaldo didn't get to play unless his co-players, you know, voted for him to play that day, but his co-players don't want to win the game and yet the supporters want to win the game. What are the odds that Cristiano Ronaldo is going to score? 
Well, he's not going to because he's in the match and being paid to be in the match because his co-players have put him in the game. And it doesn't matter what the, you know, what the stadium wants. And that's a perfect analogy, really, of this, of the state that we find ourselves in. Thank you very much. As we're about to wrap up, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I see, um, Eric has, has a additional point to make, uh, to Vusi. Eric, the floor is yours. Yeah, two quick ones. Um, one, in, in a bit of a sense of humor, Vusi, when are you standing for public office to settle Because <laughs> you speak so beautifully. I mean, we need you. We need, we need people like you. We need leaders like you, you know. So, so have you got an answer to that? Are you interested? <laughs> Are you active? I can't tell you how many times my phone has been buzzing with that. Just watch the news. There may be something, but I can't confirm at this time. Good man. We're backing you. Vusi, one more point, you know, coming back to your role in, in, in incubators and private equity, you know, if you look at the couple of success stories in the uh, small business landscape, like the incubators like yours, like perhaps uh, Raise Corp, uh, yeah. perhaps yeah. Um, certain foundations in, in our community. We have Ortjet, which provides a very effective mentoring program for small businesses. I, I, my point to you is this, that it's not that easy to yeah. run a successful business, yes. whether it's yes. early stage or, or, or to manage in, in, in difficult times like we're going through at the moment. So that in, in, in effect, the, 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 the initiatives that we take need to be very smart and very effective. And, 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 you know, perhaps people who are active in it could share some of the secrets of success so that they can be scaled up around the country. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think, you know, you talk about Race Corp. I know Alon well. Alon's firm predates ours by probably a decade. I have a lot of respect for the work that Alon's been able to do. And there's several other people in the ecosystem. One of the things we're very big on in our own firm is the recognition that you can collaborate. The problem is so big. None of us should be competing. We should actually be working together. Um, but I, I think you're absolutely on the money, Eric. And we would have, we would be far better served as a country, actually, if we all gathered around the single idea of building one South Africa for everybody, and in that building of that country, we created the most opportunities for any citizen. That's really what's going to get us out of this mess. I don't think that thinking about the problem, the way the problem was created, is going to solve the solution. And you can say that for entrepreneurship, you can say that for health, for education, for infrastructure, for access to economic opportunities, and for every other ailment that we face as a country. Thank you very much, Jeff. Vusi. If you have just joined us, this is Vusi Tembavai, a man who wears many hats. Among this, I mean, you know, uh, we're thoroughly enjoying the conversation. Do weigh in our conversation via our SMS line, which is 34519. The telegram is 0618951095. And of course, your email, uh, uh, your emails are welcome, you know, through my email account, which is nimrod at high.0za. We literally have three minutes to wrap up. I want to give justice a, a parting shot, uh, with the, you know, to Davosi. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Vusi. Look, uh, the time that we've had was quite small and uh, um, was too little, uh, but your contribution is appreciated. I would have wanted to ask you um, the optimum usage of um, Section 12J, but I don't think we have the time for that. Um, the other thing that do you know probably of any kind of academic study done on 
the impact of red tape on small businesses? Is there anything in that regard? Not, not, not as far as I know. Um, um, they? Not as far as I know. I the impact know. Of, 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 of red tape on small business. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Justice. Not as far as I know. I don't know of any study of that nature. Um, I know of several studies that have quantified the impact of uh, rigid labor laws, but not ones that are focused on a subject as broadly as red tape, right? The cost of legislation around taxation, collection of taxation, um, issues around registration of your business, et cetera, et cetera, compliance governance. I'm not sure. I don't, I haven't read anything of that nature. Would be interesting if there is some literature like that available. Thank you very much, Fossi. Uh, Eric, you're like your party short literally in 30 seconds. Well, Eric is not taking, he's not coming through. Eric, if you don't, I'm going to take this opportunity. Yeah, I'm just saying we should have a follow-up discussion after the show and maybe another show and, and, and take this, this initiative further. Well, see, you've heard from Eric, uh, I'm, I'm sure the listeners are also quite pleased to hear your, your voice and your thoughts around these very critical issues. You do definitely come across as a level-headed individual who has acquired, uh, you know, massive experience and exposure in terms of how we can, you know, provide solutions to problems that are facing the country. I mean, I do like your reflective point in that, you know, uh, in as much as we come from a very unpleasant historical background, some of the, you know, the circumstances which led us to those kinds of uh, inequalities, uh, you know, around race, gender, and what have you, aren't necessarily the same kind of solution we need to take forward. Your party short on this particular brilliant evening. Uh, yeah, so first to say that South Africa is a nation of conquerors. I think we forget this, that that's what it means to be a South African. If you look at the incredible feat of Brad Bindo just over this past weekend, you think about the phenomenal feats of Acosta Semenya, Penny Haynes, Natalie Detoy, that I could keep going, right? South Africa is a nation of conquerors. Now, we're challenged about that. There is no doubt. We've got problems, absolutely. And perhaps those at the top of the pyramid aren't the people who are the best place to be there. But have no mistake that we will conquer these issues. We will come out of them far better. It may get a bit dim, dimmer before it gets brighter, but what it means to be a South African at the end of the day is that we're conquerors. We'll come out of this. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much for coming through. And I certainly think and believe that the listener has thoroughly enjoyed your intricate thoughts around how we get the country out of the quagmire that we found ourselves. Once again, thank you very much for coming through. Most obliged, and I'd, I'd love an opportunity to engage again. So thank you for having me. I really appreciated you, as well as Eric and Justice. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much, sir. There we go. That was Vosi Temabayo, the man who really gave us a food for thought, and I'm quite grateful that he, he was able to come through amid his competing priorities. Uh, we're going to have to do this again next week. Uh, Justice, Eric Stullerman, once again, thank you very much for gracing the airways. Uh, let's do this again next week. In the meantime, let's continue to promote and advocate for equality, especially among women. Uh, this, you know, being Women's Month, we definitely have to, you know, play our role. And I want to take this opportunity to thank the lady on on, on the show, Tabisa. Tabisa, hi, and thank you very much for coming through, and thank you very much for organizing the, the, the show. Thank you very much. Uh, until we do it again, Tabo, thank you very much.